session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number is 310-4410555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, I wanted to announce the book of the week for this week. Uh, And today I got to go to a bookstore and got eight books. I kind of felt like a kid in a candy store. And um, looking forward to reading a bunch of these, including this one that... Uh, I came across. It's called Mind Fixers by Anne Harrington. Mind Fixers, Psychiatry's Troubled Search for the Biology of Mental Illness. And so it looks like it's a history of the field of psychiatry. Um, And I thought it sounded interesting and I read a little bit about it. Seems interesting. So looking forward to reading Mind Fixers by Anne Harrington and sharing that with you on next Monday's show. But the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about today is How to Deal with Anger by Isabel Clark. How to Deal with Anger, a five-step CBT-based plan for managing anger and overcoming frustration. And as I mentioned, I wanted to read a book on anger management both myself, but I'd gotten a few recommendations uh, or requests to do a book on anger. So I came across this one. I had a hard time connecting with the book at times. I don't know what it was. I almost was joking with myself that I was getting angry about a book about anger, but um, it did have some what I think are valuable insights that I'll share with you about dealing with anger based on a group that uh, this therapist, Isabel Clark, was running on anger management. So even the outline of the book is made as if it was the group so to speak, and that she says sometimes next week or this week and in between you're supposed to do the homework or exercises that are in the book. But to begin with, we even can think about the term or when we talk about anger management, we say anger management and not anger elimination because anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's a theme that comes up a lot on my show, which is that I might as well say sad feelings are not bad feelings or the feelings we think of as quote unquote bad are not actually just bad things. Even if they don't feel good, they give us information. They're telling us something and we don't want to ignore them. And actually one of the books I got today that I'll do um, maybe in a few weeks time is about that, about how our bad feelings, the ones we think are bad, actually are quite good and that they give us information. We want to pay attention to that. And anger is no different. Um, Anger management means we want to try to use our anger in positive ways and in not destructive ways, but we don't want to get rid of our anger. It is a good thing. It's telling us something doesn't feel right or we feel like someone is 
um, doing something against us in a way that doesn't feel good or even sometimes about other people. We might feel indignation that someone else is being treated unjustly. But anger itself is good. We have to be aware of it. And that's actually sometimes the problem for some people is that because they don't want to ever be angry or feel angry or acknowledge that something is making them angry, that actually gets them in trouble. They say, oh, no, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Why would that bother me? I hear that a lot um, in therapy with clients, but also just in general. People are convincing themselves that something shouldn't make them upset rather than really being in touch with what's there. And this comes from uh, sometimes our want to not be angry or angered by certain things. And so we have to be aware of that. So that's the first starting point is we have to recognize there is good in anger and we need it in order to have relationships. We have to be in touch uh, with that anger. And so that's something that comes up throughout the book is about self-awareness and mindfulness and, and even meditation, but being mindful and aware of what we are going through. We have to be in touch with it. And being mindful of any feeling also involves being in touch with our bodies because every feeling, every emotion expresses itself somehow in the body. So for example, with anxiety, you might feel uh, tightness in your chest, let's say. When you're angry, maybe you'll feel like your blood is boiling or you'll feel some kind of butterflies in your stomach, which could be your flight or fight response getting triggered and the blood is going away from the stomach to your muscles in order to react. But we want to be aware of that. And that's a big theme throughout the book is mindfulness. In various sections, it'll come up of getting in touch with ourselves and being aware, scanning the body, scanning your mind, so to speak, of what's going on. Because a lot of times people will say about someone else, but even about themselves, that I just blew up. I, I wasn't angry, nothing was going on, and all of a sudden I exploded, I blew up. And what happens, in my opinion, and is expressed in this book, is sometimes we think we just blow up because we're mil missing the buildup. There was a buildup before that blow up that we are missing. Little things might be bothering you whether it's within that relationship or just in general. Or there's kind of the classic example of kicking the cat or kicking the dog where your boss gets mad at you and so you take it out on your dog. Sometimes there's a few steps in between, but you take it out on someone smaller. And so sometimes we're discharging our anger from other relationships, from other situations onto someone else. But oftentimes we're missing the buildup and this leads to what feels like a blow up out of nowhere if we paid more attention, if we were more self-aware, as the book recommends, getting in touch more often with what we're feeling, both physically and mentally, um, we could recognize that we were getting somewhere a lot more quickly, or we were getting towards that anger or becoming more angry. And that's why we have to be okay with even feeling anger, that we don't want to deny it, as I was saying before, because if you deny it, you might not realize it's going to build up and then you might explode. And this is a pattern that some people have. Many people um, can express anger in different ways, but a pattern I've noticed is that when people don't want to ever be angry, if they have that mindset that I should never be angry, that being angry is bad, I'm always going to be the nice guy or nice girl, I don't get bothered by things, whatever the mindset is that gets them to this place of not wanting to express anger, they hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, but the resentment and anger and frustration builds up and then they blow up and express it in a bad way that they don't feel good about, whether it's through aggression or even violence. And 
then they feel ashamed about it afterwards and they feel bad. And all it does, unfortunately, is reinforce their uh, conception that anger is not something to be felt or expressed. They say, see, see how bad it was that I got angry? I shouldn't do that. That's why I hold it in. And they go back to that, not recognizing that the holding it in is actually what's contributing to them exploding in that way. Sometimes we use the analogy of a, a tea kettle where it's the heat is building up and then all of a sudden it explodes. But if you let out the steam little by little, you won't have that explosion. So being in touch with and aware of our anger, as is the case with all of our feelings, is very important. And that's a theme that comes up throughout the book, the importance of mindfulness. And she talks about some exercises and ways to do that, along with breathing exercises, which can also be helpful. Now, one comment about things like breathing exercises, counting to 10, things you can do, they can definitely be helpful. But very often what people experience is that once they get to a certain point, they won't be able to think clearly enough to do those exercises, or it could be too little too late. And that's why we want to be aware of our anger building up with it, because if it gets to a certain point, it's hard for us to be as in control. I don't want to say we have no control, but it becomes a lot harder as uh, just using a simplified version of looking at the brain when the emotional parts of the brain are so activated, our frontal lobe, the parts that can think more clearly or think about consequences and plan are not as activated. And so it's hard for us to think clearly enough to make a better choice, unfortunately. And so we're more likely to make a bad choice. So we see again, the importance of being in touch with our feelings, being aware of what's going on and having um, that type of a relationship with ourself. And she also talks about the relationship with ourself in a chapter in this book, which I thought was interesting and important uh, for all aspects of self, but also with anger. Uh, sometimes people with anger issues tend to have a very negative, or they usually do have a negative relationship with themselves, which can be very judgmental and harsh, putting themselves down. And we know that how we treat ourselves is how we're going to treat others or vice versa. And so they can be that way with others as well. But it does interfere with their experience of their emotions and how they tend to express them. So she talked about how we can actually be like a good friend to ourselves. And there's an exercise where you talk to yourself or you communicate with yourself as a good friend. And then also she talks about the difference between a good friend and a false friend in the sense that a false friend is someone who might just agree with you no matter what. But especially when it comes to anger, sometimes that can be a problem. Because if you're thinking, yeah, how could that person do that? And they're so wrong and they're so bad and they betrayed me or they were all wrong and I was all good. And if you have that friend that's just saying, yeah, you're right, you're right, they're so bad, you're so good, it might actually intensify your anger to come out in a bad way and not actually get you to realistically look at the situation and see how you've contributed to what's going on. And also maybe what they did wasn't so bad, maybe it did upset you, but giving you a better understanding of what's going on. So she talks about in that chapter about the relationship with yourself to also be that good, honest friend who's going to tell you the truth and not just agree with you, not just egg you on with whatever you're feeling, but be more realistic in how they talk to you about what's going on. There's also um, a chapter looking at different types of communication and how we want to be assertive. 
And now people might think, well, if someone's aggressive, they're already getting their way so much. Do they need to be assertive? And the answer is yes. Aggressive communication is not healthy communication or is one of the less healthy ways of communicating. We want to be assertive, which means you're stating what you want. You're clearly expressing what it is you want, um, what you feel, but you do it in a way that respects others and is not, as is the case with aggression, going to step on someone's toes or impose on them in some way. So we want to be assertive. And as I mentioned before, sometimes it's because people are not being assertive enough. They're holding in too much that they start to build up resentment and will get anger. Or sometimes people are just more aggressive in how they communicate because they want to get things to go their way or they don't have hope that if they just communicate clearly and calmly, they can have a productive conversation. So they go to aggression. So the importance of assertiveness is also mentioned in that chapter, which is key for everyone. It's not just about having anger issues, but when it comes to having healthy relationships and also feeling good about how uh, we feel in our relationships, how what we're getting, what we're able to communicate in our relationships, we always want to strive to be assertive. And in a way, I alluded to another point there about aggression and anger, which is important important for any issue we're trying to deal with is, does the person want to give up being angry or expressing angry anger in the ways that they're doing it? Which might sound counterintuitive, but this is something we always want to be aware of with anything. We might think someone has an addiction, for example. Of course they want to quit. But sometimes there's some things, or almost always there's some things that might keep them wanting to stay addicted or if someone is depressed or if someone isn't working, for example, and they want to work, it's very easy to just think, yes, they want a job. Everyone wants to work and get a job, but we do want to be aware of the comfort they have of not having to get a job or of being depressed or being addicted. Always we're in a comfort zone that we have to break through and break free from. And we want to recognize what's there because that can help us have a better understanding of how we can get out of it. So someone with who expresses anger regularly and with a lot of aggression and even, let's say, violence, as much as it might get them in trouble and damage relationships and even, let's say, give them troubles with the law, uh, which is possible, they might like that a lot of times they feel that they can get their way. If you use aggression and threats and even violence, a lot of times you do get your way and you can even establish your status or hierarchy or have people be afraid of you. And sometimes people who have issues with anger, they've learned that anger is a way to get your way. And likely they had anger in their family growing up and they observe this. So they internalize that and they have this understanding that relationships are based on win and lose. You either impose your will or the other person will impose it on you. So you want to make sure you're the one that wins. But often they can have this mindset of relationships that involves anger, aggression, and even violence as a way of getting what you want. And so someone who has anger issues might not want to give up being angry or expressing it in these unhealthy ways because there are some benefits that they feel they're getting. So there was also um, some parts of the book that looked at that, that the person has to be aware of what they might be getting from expressing anger in the way that they do. And lastly, she talks about how, again, anger is not just this negative thing. We can even 
utilize our anger towards justice, looking at, for example, social issues or groups of people who are being treated unfairly and use our anger in a positive way, we can channel it. She uses the uh, example of electricity, where before we might have thought of electricity as this bad thing, either you can get struck by lightning or they're static, but then we learn how to harness electricity for so many beneficial uses. And so anger can be the same way. We tend to think of it just as violence and aggression and these negative things, but anger can actually be used in very positive ways as well. And so she has a chapter looking at what is it that you care about or what issues do you care about and how you could possibly use your anger towards that in a positive way. So the book um, does go through some practical steps, has lots of exercises on how to manage your anger in a better way based on group therapy or groups that were run to help people dealing with anger. And so that part I thought was helpful. So that was the book again, How to Deal with Anger by Isabel Clark. And the book of the week for this week is Mind Fixers by Anne Harrington. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Habra, you're on the air. Uh, hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Yeah, good evening. Yeah, I have some questions about my personality and, and some daily issues. So if it's okay, first I give a background. Sure, go ahead. And then, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm 30 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm a PhD candidate in one of the engineering sciences. And I have a younger brother who is uh, six years younger than me. And if I want to talk about my parents, I know that my mother has some kind of obsession. She's neurotic and she has anxiety. And about my father, she uh, he, he is like a neurotic and angry person. And he's also anxious most of the time. So I really had a bad childhood. Like it was uh, with uh, like physical punishment a lot, yeah. Mm. And the the only thing that my family wanted, they wanted me just to study, and I don't know to get a higher degree or whatever that you know that parents want their mm-hmm. children to do. So, and even they because they were like anxious, they didn't let me to play with the other children or other people, even like. If uh, my classmates had a party, they invited me, they didn't let me go because, I don't know, mm. they were worried about it. Or So, uh, actually, uh, I didn't have, like, uh, friends during my childhood and so on. And I think I have manic depression, but I'm not sure about it. I'm sure about the depression, but I would like you to help me, like, to see whether I have the manic episodes or not. Okay. Okay. Uh, there are things that I can tell you. For example, sometimes I think I have racing thoughts. Uh, if there's a discussion with some friends and if they say something that I think they are wrong or if I know that I know the topic, I interrupt them like unintentionally and then, then I notice that I did it. Uh, this happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is that I have uh, problems with time management. For example, if I just uh, think that 
I will take a shower and it will take five minutes. You will see it will just take like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. So this happens with, with uh, most of the activities during the mm-hmm. day. And Now let me, uh, I do want to hear so, more about these other things you deal with. But because you said you think you might have manic depression or bipolar disorder, let me know. You said you're pretty certain about the depression side, but what makes you think you experience the the mania or the manic side as well? Uh, yeah, that's what uh, that's um, you know. For example, uh, it happens to me that some nights I just cannot sleep, and then if it's a nice weather, I just think, okay, let's just go out and have a walk and just enjoy enjoy the weather. You know, outside, two hours, one hour. You know. That's one thing, mm-hmm. and erasing thoughts. I thought, and you know, because sometimes I think that I'm happy, and and the other times I just I think I go back to the depression. But for me, it's not very obvious that that uh, whether I have a manic episode at this moment, or is it a manic mm-hmm. episode or not, or is it a transition? That that's that's why it's my question. Yeah, I mean, I am not sure about it. Sure. What you described, it seems more like it's the anxiety and and depression than manic. It could be, I mean, going for the walks late at night, but it seems like you're saying that's because you have a hard time falling asleep. Um, and when people are, are, let me ask you this, if you don't sleep well that night, the next day, are you full of energy? Um, or do you feel tired from not getting enough sleep? Mostly I will be tired, but okay. sometimes it happens if it's a situation, I guess, stressful situation, for sure, I would be awake. Well, the next, so the the thing is when people are, are manic, they don't sleep as much, so that's the part I think you were relating to, but they still feel full of energy the next day. So there's a lack of need for sleep. There is a, also other things, and tell me if these fit for you, like an inflated sense of self or ego and self-esteem. Um, they can engage in risky behaviors. And I know going for a walk late at night, depending on where you live, can be a little bit risky, but not so risky. It's more things like reckless driving, promiscuity, gambling, or making bad purchases that they later regret. Do, does any of the, that relate to you? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, it happens to me that sometimes I just feel that I need to buy something and I do not think about the consequences. And then re- later I regret it indeed. That, that's what happens for me. And the other issue that I have, which is uh, related, is that, you know, uh, actually I think I'm like a sexually active person, that I, I, I feel that I need to have like sex a lot of times during the week. Mm-hmm. And that made me like to pay for that, in, in fact. And... Uh, it forced me, or I maybe I, maybe it's better to say I forced myself just to spend a lot of money on that. And I can say, like, sometimes I, I spend, like, about 30-40% of my monthly salary on that. And then... It, Are you talking about on, on, prostitu- on prostitutes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and I know this is a risky behavior. Yeah. Uh, normally, I try to be cautious and not to take risks, but sometimes I just, you know, I think I don't have delayed gratification, or at least I think sometimes I'm just looking for instant pleasure, you know. At a moment, I don't think about health consequences or, for example, the, the money, like financial matters. Mm-hmm. 
that's well, you know, the fact that you're a PhD candidate in engineering tells us you probably can delay gratification in some ways if you're able to study and and do what you're able to do in that area. But it does seem like there's a compulsive uh, nature to your behavior at times where mm-hmm. you feel almost forced to do something, like pressured to do something that feels almost out of your control. I don't want to say it is, but it seems like you'd feel that way. And it could be, I see what you're saying about the manic depression or the bipolar. There's some elements of that. For some reason in hearing you talk about it, it sounds more to me like it's about anxiety and obsessiveness. And even um, I would guess based on what you've described, that things like pleasure and enjoying yourself, you tend to judge negatively um, because you said in your family there was this focus on school and education only to the point where you weren't even supposed to go to birthday parties and things for your friends and classmates. So there could be some relationship you have with pleasure or enjoying something that's very judgmental and negative that then you play out in this way where you uh, are trying to almost sneak and get the pleasure because you don't think you're supposed to get it. You don't think you're supposed to have it. And then you judge yourself and then have this whole cycle, I'm sure, of feeling ashamed of it and telling yourself, don't do that again, but then you do it again, and then you go to the cycle again. So it could be bipolar, but I'm hearing more of the anxiety and the compulsive behavior than the bipolar. Uh, yes, so uh, so uh, what kind of trick can I do just to control it, to, to have kind of self-awareness about it? Like, I think... I, I agree with, with the cycle that yet you say it's like an endless loop. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I, I need the pleasure, then I regret it again. I get it again and again. Yeah. Well, that, and that's the thing is that I, I think you have this relationship with pleasure and enjoying yourself that is a negative one that you sh- you feel like you shouldn't be or you're not supposed to. And a lot of times, people, uh, even when you first started talking, I already felt like um, for you, sometimes we we want to encourage people to work hard and to try hard. Of course, that's important. But right from the beginning, I was like, he's someone that we need to encourage him more to enjoy himself and actually be able to relax and take care of himself. Uh, He's going to work hard enough. You need to be able to enjoy yourself. But many, for many people, especially with the childhood you've described, they have this feeling that if they're doing something fun, they're doing something bad. If they're enjoying something, it's something bad. And, And so, yes, it's bad if we are just chasing instant gratification and we never do hard work or we do risky things because of that. But I get the feeling for you, it's more that because those things were deemed as so bad that you have this unhealthy relationship with pleasure and enjoyment that you think it's something bad that you're doing when something is enjoyable for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that, but, but, um, I think the problem, or, or what I do not get, uh, my point is like that. Okay, let's agree on what you say. Mm-hmm. But what about like spending money, like not not thinking about the consequences? For example, when I when I have the compulsion mm-hmm. that I need to have, for example, sex, or I need to meet someone at the moment, and why I cannot control that? Why I cannot? say, okay, you see, you are going to spend money on that, and then it, it happens again and again. Well, uh, I, well, well, yeah, I mean, but even when I hear you telling that, the way you describe it, like I have, to, you had 
your whole life, this relationship, you have a lot of anger towards your parents, I'm sure, for not letting you Indeed. enjoy things. Actually, I hate my... Sorry for yeah, not talking okay. to you. But actually, I hate my mom. Like, sometimes she really made me angry that I thought with myself that one day I would do something to hurt her. Mm. Like you were so angry, yeah. Did you ever... And then because of that, did you ever feel like you did something to compensate for that, either in what you did, or did you ever have any kind of OCD-type behaviors of checking things or washing your hands? Yeah, actually, actually, because, you know, I, I think because the parents' behavior would influence the children. Of course. Uh, because I know my mom has a lot of, you know, uh, she cares about the hygiene, washing things a lot. So uh, years ago, uh, I was like that. But once I, I studied about, like, psychology and I get aware of it, I tried to improve it. And now I don't have that problem a lot. But checking things, yeah, because in general, I think I'm a detail-oriented person. I, I pay attention to the details, to colors, to everything around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, and so, I mean, and detail-oriented can be related to that. But the other things you're talking about, the checking, and you used to have more issues with, let's say, washing or other things. I'm seeing more, as I was saying from the beginning, anxiety and potentially an OCD maybe even OCPD, but actually even just OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, than I'm seeing bipolar. And you mentioned your parents' behavior. Of course, that's going to have an effect. But also, you you described both of your parents as having anxiety and your mom having obsessive thinking. And so genetically, you're going to get that as well. And we know that things like OCD and anxiety issues can be very significantly influenced by genetics. And so you have this predisposition. And I'm hearing in your description of things more of this it's almost like you're still playing out this relationship with your parents but within yourself so you have this very punishing punitive parent parent side inside of your head and then you also have this kid who always wanted to play but never was allowed to and it's like they're having this battle within your head and the kid wants to go play or wants to go buy something even though it's maybe not a smart purchase and then there's the punishing parent that you're trying to avoid but then later on comes in and punishes you and then you play it out again but and you mentioned that anger towards the parent you have this anger towards the parent within your own head the if you want to call it super ego that's trying to make the quote-unquote good decisions be a good boy be smart be uh, proper and all those types of things but then you're battling with it because you still have this anger understandably so towards your parents for how they treated you as a child you mentioned the physical abuse but on top of that not letting you even enjoy things have fun make friends of course there's gonna be a lot of anger there so um, as far as what you should do to just control it I, I also hear in that this feeling that or this thinking that you should be able to just control this and the fact that you can't somehow reflects as you being weak or not good. But what you're talking about is something very powerful and you more than likely are going to need help um, in the form of therapy and even potentially medication to help you deal with these issues. Uh, actually, uh, I, I went to the psychotherapist okay like for for something else and like he prescribed me lexapro for the generalized anxiety mm -hmm. and later on because i i didn't have enough courage to work uh, he prescribed the uh, bupropione mm -hmm. so in combination i felt much better that's why i thought maybe you know it's kind of bipolar maybe i i need to yeah yeah that's that's 
I see. I asked those questions. But, well, that's. But, I think uh, that's good. I, Are you still taking the medication, the Lexapro? Yeah, it's about um, two years. Yes. Okay. And, I'm still taking. Good. And so, um, yeah. And for just, I'll make a comment. I'm not a psychiatrist, but in general, even when it comes for anxiety disorders, usually for long-term use, a psychiatrist will prescribe an antidepressant. And that tends to help because anti-anxiety medication can be very addictive and it's usually more for a short-term use or for just specific incidents. But an antidepressant can be very helpful for things like OCD or generalized anxiety disorder. Um, but psychotherapy would also be important for you. Now, I want you to hang on the line so we can talk a bit. We're, we're at a commercial break, but I want to continue our conversation. So just hang on and we'll talk after. Yeah, the break, yeah, sure, okay? sure. Yeah, thank sure. you so thank much. Thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, sure. Okay, hi. All right. So um, before the break, we were talking a bit about your, as what you described, your personality. You were trying to figure out if you had some bipolar illness or um, if it was, in fact, more anxiety issues, which I'm leaning towards more the anxiety than the bipolar. But I do want to give you a chance to tell me if there's more that we haven't talked about. But another thing I wanted to mention is one of the the areas where you're going to, I think, have to do a lot of growth uh, is in your relationship with yourself and in creating a more loving relationship with yourself. Unfortunately, you didn't get that love from a young age, at least the way you've described it. I'm sure your parents loved you and they tried their best, but even in trying their best, they seem to have still hurt you a lot and you had a very painful childhood as you yourself described it. Um, and because of that, it's hard for you from what I'm sensing and how you talked about things to really love yourself and to feel good about yourself, to take care of yourself, to give yourself pleasure or to think it's okay to have pleasure. And because of that, you have this very uh, painful and destructive relationship when it comes to pleasure and enjoying things that pushes you in bad directions. Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just have a small question, which sure. probably might be related to what you said. As that, I, I was, I didn't get like the the love that I needed. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the other problems or something that you know irritates me a lot is that, for example, sometimes like my friends suggest, okay, let's go to a concert like in two weeks, or let's go to that 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 party or whatever. Then mm -hmm. immediately I would say yes because I just like to socialize. I would like to have you know, be with friends and so on and have fun. And then the day that comes that I would like to go, then I just feel, okay, why should I go? Or, you know, I, I have something to do at home or because of, you know, the time management, I, I need to do something about my, my, my studies and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and I just cancel it. You know, it happens to me that, that I set something with somebody and then later I cancel it. Is it related to the to the the issue that you mentioned? Yeah, it definitely can be. In hearing you describe describe it, anxiety can play a big part in a few of the factors you mentioned. One is even time management. The thing with psychology is that a lot of different illnesses, or even not just illnesses, but symptoms or things can contribute to similar results. For example, someone has a hard time concentrating. It definitely can be ADHD, but it could also be depression or anxiety as well. And so that can make it difficult. But hearing you talk, 
uh, I get the sense that there's an anxiety. Also, you might have an anxiety about going out. I don't know if you have a social anxiety as well, but when it comes to actually doing no. something. No. Okay. No, no, not that much. No. Okay. Uh, but the anxiety of just having enough time, for example, to do things or even in getting your work done, there could be a perfectionism there that gets in the way of getting work done. And so you can procrastinate and put it off. And then, well, now I don't have enough time to go out or do anything else because I have the work to do. Uh, and on top of that, what we talked about before, you have this relationship with pleasure and enjoying something that you shouldn't do it. So there's a comfort you get out of withholding the pleasure from yourself. So not going. I'm sure it's conflicting. On one hand, you're upset or frustrated because you wanted to go or you said yes and now you have to say no. But there could be that parent within yourself that rewards you for saying no and staying home instead of going out, even though you likely have enough time to do both, to go out and get your work done. But you you are still having that punishing parent within your head. And that's the unfortunate thing that all of us have is that even if our parents, when we experience them, it was painful, there was things we didn't like, we wish they were different, we usually internalize their voice and their way of uh, relating with us and then act that way with ourselves. And I think that's something that you also are doing over and over again with how you deal with pleasure and enjoyment and socializing. And then again, you know, you do things in these secret ways of getting what you want because you don't feel like you're allowed to, in a way, publicly and very proudly give yourself what you want. So you have to do it in these secret ways, which makes it even more shameful because it also pushes you in the direction of doing them in, in darker ways that don't feel as good to you either. And so it's kind of a lose-lose in that way. But coming back to the, the therapy, I know you said you went to therapy, but for something else and got diagnosed. Um, but I would definitely recommend that you go to therapy for a long period of time because a lot of what you dealt with was from the relationships you had with your parents. And one of the ways you're going to heal is through a relationship with a therapist. So I know you're taking the medication, but I'd also recommend you go to therapy for a long period of time. And then if I go for the therapy, what should be the goals? The goal should be to cure the anxiety and OCD. These are the main two main issues that you see, obviously, or well, based on what I said, or they have the highest priority, I guess. In a way, I mean, you know, I usually, with, especially something like anxiety, I try not to think of it as cure because the way you've described yourself the way your family is, you're always going to have anxiety. You're not going to have no anxiety. As long as you're breathing, you're going to have probably some. But it it could become much more manageable and interfere a lot less. So yes, there's that in, the, in some of those symptoms. But the bigger picture for me is the relationship you have with yourself, which with a childhood like yours, it's almost always going to be negative. There's going to be a lack of self-love and self-compassion. And you have this very destructive relationship with pleasure and enjoyment that gets in the way of so many things in your life and in living a balanced life. And so that's also what I think will be helpful. But things like that take time. That's why I'm saying, even in how you're describing it, what is, what's the priority? Let me get to therapy, fix these things. I'm saying that you're going to have to be in therapy for a while. And it's going to be more about making small incremental changes in ways you might not even realize are happening but will happen over time that you, I think, would be more beneficial than saying, okay, I want you to fix these four symptoms. Um, it, it's less about fixing the symptoms and more about over time 
changing the relationship you have with yourself, changing the relationship you have with pleasure and enjoyment, recognizing that you're allowed to enjoy life and there's enough time to do both. And not only is there enough time, but the good life is both. You need to have enjoyment and pleasure and also do work. And hopefully even your work you enjoy in some way as well. But you need to have both. There, In a way, it's a need to have pleasure. And I think you've been deprived or were deprived in childhood for so long that now you're acting it out in these ways that don't feel good to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to confirm what you said, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, I confirm that I have, perf- yeah, I'm perfectionist, I procrastinate yeah. when I work. Uh, yeah, that's, that's indeed. Uh, yeah, I, felt, I mean, I, I, that's what my guess was when you said time management. And again, time management could come from ADHD. If someone's very depressed, they can have issues with getting things done. But it seemed like for you that anxiety was playing the, the biggest role in my mind of getting things done, of starting things in, in schoolwork. When you have to start something, it's probably harder for you to start because you put that pressure on yourself. And then unfortunately, very often people dealing with it the way that you do might beat themselves up. Why didn't you start it earlier? You waited again or look what you're doing. You were wasting time. And it just unfortunately hurts rather than helps you get things done or you know be even happy and be okay. Um, but then you can go through that cycle as well of procrastinating and then beating yeah. yourself up for it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that because, like, um, I experience it a lot. Like when I, when I have, when I, when I like to concentrate, I can concentrate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But when I'm forced to do something, like it's an assignment or it's something, then then I I got back to the childhood where everything I was forced uh, to do things and and I I was not free on my own. Uh, I think yeah, that's that's that could be due to that. Yeah. And and I, I would also confirm that I really, really have a very, very low self-esteem. Mm. And sometimes when I think about myself, I think that I don't like myself, or even sometimes I think that I hate myself. Uh, indeed. Yeah, well, the, the, the bad news is that it's hard to change those things because they go back from childhood and your whole life and and it was so strong the way your parents unfortunately treated you in a negative way the good news is that you're wrong to not think you're good and not think you're you know lovable in that way that you needed to be lovable your parents just didn't know how to show you that love that you deserved just like every kid deserved that love and every adult even still deserves to be loved that's the good news is that they were wrong and you will soon over time it'll take some time be able to see that, that you are very lovable and worthy of love and, and can be kind to yourself. But that kind of change is going to take time. That's what I want you to be patient about, that if you enter therapy, it's going to be a process. So don't think of it as, uh, here are a few things I want to fix. And the way your personality is, and even being an engineering student, I'm sure a lot of your mindset is more about what's the problem, what's the solution, fix it, move on to the next thing. But when it comes to things like therapy and the issues we're talking about for you, it's a lot more about process and things changing and evolving over time, and it's a lot less concrete. So be ready for that type of a process. And I hope you realize you deserve that. You deserve to, over time, change this relationship with yourself, and uh, and things will start to change for you, but it's not something that's going to happen very quickly. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask my course, last question? Of course. Hello? Yes, go ahead. 
Yes, yeah, sometimes I think my coverage here is not so good. Okay. Yeah, and you know, since, yeah, because my parents were controlling, Mm -hmm. since I moved to Europe, I feel much, much better because I have my own freedom and I can, like, for example, control when they can talk to me, when they can phone, and whenever I want, I would not answer it, you know. Uh, And and so, uh, yeah, until I go to the therapy, what should be the correct or, or how to say ethical or in terms of morality, what is the correct behavior? Because, you know, uh, when I talk to my parents on phone, whenever they start controlling me, immediately I get angry. Yeah. Immediately I react. I do not respond. So what is the... Do I need to show off that, okay, there is nothing, and, and then I make myself that just not not to feel bad or to behave in a way that, you know what I mean? Well, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, like you said, it, it's hard because once they go there, it's bringing up so many feelings, and that's even actually the book today was talking about anger, but it... For a lot of people, what triggers their anger is it's bringing up these old feelings that are not resolved. And especially if it's from them who treated you that way as a child, we can understand that it it's it touches the wound so directly and strongly that it creates, as you said yourself, a reaction and makes it hard for you to respond. Now, you can try to realize and tell yourself before you talk to them, for example, you know that they're probably going to say things that are going to touch on those wounds. Let's see how I can respond differently. You can try breathing exercises, relaxing, all these things. It doesn't mean you'll be able to control it every time. But I think something you're doing, which is first you created a physical space, and then also you're limiting your communication with them. I think those things make sense to create also a psychological space to give yourself that. But to you know, something you said a few times, you're, it's interesting because you're talking about them trying to control you but you're trying to control yourself or you keep emphasizing that. How can I control myself from doing this? How can I control myself from doing that? And of course, as adults, especially, we have to be able to manage ourselves and manage our lives and we can't just uh, not have any type of control. But the problem for you is there's too much emphasis on controlling and putting pressure on things than letting yourself be comfortable and be okay. And so that's something you're going to have to work on by yourself and with yourself. But when it comes to your parents, you have to realize they're going to trigger very intense feelings in you. And you can definitely try your best and work on it and come up with, you know, meditation can be helpful, mindfulness. If you go to therapy and start working on these things, one of the things you're going to have to do is eventually forgive them, which will be a a process, not just something that will happen in an instant. Forgive them not for their sake, but for yourself, because carrying around this anger and resentment is is hurting you. And also, unfortunately, you carry that anger within yourself towards yourself. You're also angry with yourself in the way you relate to you. And so all of those things will take some time, but there isn't some easy way to say when you talk to them, you can try not to, you know, when you talk to them, I would say, don't think about trying to win the argument or that what they're saying has to be true or right or focus on that. You can go into the conversation knowing they're going to say things you don't like and seeing what you can do. I'm actually looking at the time, and I just realize I do have to wrap up the show. But as I mentioned before, I hope you'll consider going into therapy long term and working on these issues and be ready for a process that's going to take some time. But thanks for calling in. Wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for for explaining all, all, all these things. You really answered uh, a lot of questions. Oh, great! I'm uh, happy to hear that. Uh, also, wish you the best and, and have a nice evening. Thank you very much. It was wonderful talking. Thanks. Take care.
Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Thank you to our caller there and all the listeners and to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. Have a wonderful night.